Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. All right, this is the series that we've all been waiting for. My co-host, R.G. Seal, joining me, the Rockets, the Warriors. And it didn't start off so well, R.G., 119-106. And I guess my, my first big thing is, you know, you and I talked about what, what needs to happen with the Rockets. One of the guys that I mentioned was Eric Gordon. I'm going to get to him in a little bit. But I mean, what needs to happen with the Warriors? They need to find a you know different venue to show up at. Maybe the Rockets win by forfeit, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's game one. I'm not, you know, everybody else, let everybody else panic. Let, let me just, the, the big thing for me with the Rockets is, you know, we, we talked about Eric Gordon. I want to get to about what we talked about last week and, and what played out. And I'm gonna get, I'll get to Eric Gordon in a bit, and, and he was decent, but there were some issues. But the big thing with the Rockets, and this was my concern also going into this series, you can't play Nene, and Ryan Anderson had done nothing in the playoffs and shown you nothing in months be, between all the injuries. But you look at Ryan Anderson, P.J. Tucker, Luke Mbamute, and Nene, and they got you a combined in 63 minutes last night. We're recording this on Tuesday. 1.2 assists and one block. I mean, you just can't. they they got to get something from somebody besides the big three. And the big three right now are obviously Harden, Paul, and Capella. I mean, let's not forget they're going up against the Golden State Warriors, okay? I mean, and, and this team is a it's a juggernaut. They they should have three finals victories in a row. I mean, the, the one year that Cleveland, I have to give all the credit to Cleveland LeBron James that year, Kyrie Irving, when they won that championship, came back, won in seven games. But if, uh, and, they, and they were even talking about it on the telecasts. And Draymond Green doesn't have that, uh, you know, seventh technical that gets him suspended for a game five. I mean, they very well might have three consecutive champions right now. They're a totally different team even better since acquiring Kevin Durant. So a lot of like, I was reading some of these comparisons to, oh, the last time the Rockets played, they were much closer. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't, uh, you know, they had, uh, they didn't have Kevin Durant and we saw basically he torched the Rockets. I mean, there was no way of stopping him in the first game. So I mean, get let's get things out of the way first here. The Warriors are a sensational team. They set the bar high. This might be one of the best basketball teams of all time when all said and done. So, I mean, no shame with the Rockets being the second best right now. There's still a chance to to beat this team. I mean, it, it's it's almost like though it's almost like Infinity War when you're talking about like when uh, you know Iron Man's talking to uh, Doctor Strange about the possibilities of defeating Thanos, and like Doctor Strange says, "Oh, yeah, there are 14 million possibilities of Thanos winning, and only one for you." And that's what it seems like right now for you know the. Uh, a gargantuan task for the Rockets to overcome this type of team. But like you said, they got absolutely no production from like a PJ Tucker, whom they're respecting. Uh, Eric Gordon, you know, was again like a subpar. Uh, Trevor Ariza, a guy that you expect. I mean, he had all the foul problems. And that's a, that's a, one of the rare kind of guys that can, you know, give you offense and defense on the Rockets. So, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's just one of those things last night, you know, where, uh, again, we're recording this on a Tuesday that the, the Rockets, you know, they got the production from their superstars, which is what you were hoping. They just didn't get the production from the rest of the team. And to win a championship, as we saw with the Rockets in 94, 95, the Akeem teams, you have to trust your teammates. They have to deliver. Yeah. The thing about in, winning any type of uh, series is you always expect the guys off the bench, the, the supporting characters to have good games at home. They, 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 those guys might struggle on the road, but you expect that at home. And here's what it comes down to. The Rockets, we thought, were this incredibly deep team. 
And Golden State had the superstars, but they might not be as deep as they have been in recent years. David West is, you know, not the David West that, you know, is to forget about the guy that you saw a few years ago in New Orleans. He's like the Joe Johnson on the Rockets. I mean, he's not the same guy anymore. Right. And and then, you you know, you look at some of their other uh, support guys. And, I mean, come on, Kevin Looney or Sean Livingston is – Sean Livingston's still okay, but he's probably not what he once was. Uh, Nick Young, Swaggy Pease, he's had – Basically a bad year for the most part. Well, but yeah, but he always heats up versus the Rockets. Look at his statistics versus the Rockets. Whatever when he sees Rocket Red, he just goes berserk. That's the thing. I mean, if the Rockets, if they're not going to get anything from their bench, and then the Golden State, Golden State, they're going to get guys that you know. All of a sudden, Nick Young starting to hit three point shots, and Sean Livingston's starting to eat you up, or you know whatever. Then then that's a ba- major problem because. You know, they've got three superstars that are going to score some points. And you look at the numbers, Duran had 37, Clay had 28, and Steph had 18. The Rockets, they're not going to get three guys doing that unless it's Eric Gordon. And I'll get back to Eric Gordon. I said he was a key to the series. Well, it's all good that Eric Gordon did have a decent night scoring. He scores 15, which is okay. You need at least 15 from him every single game. Six of 13, three of seven from three. That's fine. But then he has four turnovers. You can't be turning the ball over if you're Eric Gordon. You don't get the ball enough to have that many turnovers. The guys that you know you, you typically worry about turning the ball over, James had four turnovers, which that's probably your average night from James. That's kind of what you expect, although... It seemed like a lot of those were in the fourth quarter, and that might have been fatigue. That's the other thing. I mean, if you, you can't get anything from your bench or from the other players on the Rockets then James and Chris Paul are going to get fatigued in this series quickly because then they have to carry the entire load. And the way the Rockets offense is set up, you know, there's a lot of this one-on-one stuff. And as Reggie Miller kept pointing out during the broadcast, and I agree, that was going to wear James Harden out. I mean, he was hoping to wear out Steph Curry, which he did. And Steph Curry, you know, didn't have one of his better nights, but it also wears out James Harden if he's going one-on-one for 15 seconds of the shot clock on offense every time, you know, it's not good for the Rockets. You know, how many times have we seen missed layups from like uh, Mabua Mute or from a P.J. Tucker or whatever? I mean, it just seemed like there were so many missed like opportunities too. And you just, you have to be perfect against the Warriors. They don't allow you, you can't have 16 turnovers like the Rockets did, right? You, you, you can't, you have to play practically mistake-free basketball. You can't give them... Uh, opportunities uh, on the offensive end by turning the ball over. So, uh, you know, and and like you said, I mean, they have three dynamic scorers on there. I mean, look, Kevin Durant, he's unguardable. I don't know. I I, I saw a couple of times, I mean, Capella, we look at how great he's played this postseason and everything. I mean, a couple of times, he's taller than Kevin Durant right in his face, you know, and Kevin Durant just launched a shot over him and it goes in, you know, I, uh, he he was just incredibly on fire, and and it's tough to stop when Durant is playing that way. And then you have somebody like a Clay Thompson. For whatever reason, too, he had a lot of like wide open looks. But that happens when you're when you're getting you know when you have to focus on Steph Curry, who's a two time MVP, a great player, and then you have Kevin Durant, a former MVP and a sensational player, and and just a big matchup problem for the for the Rockets because I mean at his. He's a big matchup problem for everybody, but especially the Rockets here. It's just how do, how do you guard this guy? And then do you double-team him, leave somebody wide open? But you can't. I mean, it's just that's, you know, it creates nightmares here, which is why the Rockets, I mean, it's, uh, you know, at least I would rather have a, you know, a, a I, I still believe that, you know, 
a PJ Tucker can hit the open shots if given to him, and if Trevor Rees is out there, can hit the open threes. But like you said, have to trust the teammates. But I'd rather have defensive players out there on the court because, like, I mean, Gerald Green, uh, I just think he's a, just a bad man. He's just terrible defensively. He just, you know, he just can't keep up out there. And, you know, if you can put him in, you know, put him in for a couple of you know, minutes or, or something like that, and he hits a couple of threes, great, you know, and all that. But I, I just would rather see guys out there like uh, Mabua Mute, P.J. Tucker, Trevor Ariza, that can at least give you that defense and also possibly, you know, can hit the, the you know, the wide open threes if they're given that. Eric Gordon needs to step up and, like you said, play well. Uh, I mean, the Rockets are just going to have to, they're going to have to be on. And, they're you know, the, the disappointing thing about game one is that, Harden played like a superstar. I mean, that was what we were all expecting to see. You know, that was what we wanted to see, him playing that way. And then Chris Paul gave a, a really uh, solid effort after his uh, spectacular closeout game in the previous series. You know, so your big guys came. Your superstars showed up. It's You're right. It's the, it's the rest of the team. And it's just kind of where do you go from here? And you've got to at least force Golden State, in my opinion, you know, hey, if Kevin Durant's just making everything like he was, I mean, you just tip your cap and kind of that. But you can't give the wide open looks. You got to frustrate them defensively, which is why still I think that it all starts in the playoffs. Even Steve Kerr said this after the game. It's all about defense. It, it still is all about defense. Rockets have to be able to stop them and then get their shots on the other end. And and Ryan Anderson, that's another thing too. I mean, I know they brought him off the bench and all that, but I look. I, the guy just, he just, I mean, he's been a huge disappointment uh, since signing the contract with the Rockets. I know he's had a few games here and there where, you know, he's been, you know, been able to hit the threes, but in the, in the playoffs when we really needed him or he shows something here, uh, he just, he just hasn't been able to do it. And, you know, putting him at the, the, the five position and, and trying, but even with a, you know, Hey, does anybody ever have any confidence even anymore? I mean, there was one thing was supposed to be his three point shot. And, and he, you know, in the, especially in the Toyota Center, he's always had problems shooting there. You just outlined exactly what I'm talking about when I started the whole show. The Rockets were supposed to have this great bench. And Ryan Anderson has been hurt the last month or two. And Luke Babamute has been hurt. And he's had that shoulder injury. And the shoulder injury is killing him. Look, he wasn't making layups. And he won't dunk anymore because of that shoulder. Because he's dunked twice. And both times he's pulled out his shoulder. So now he's trying layups. And he's really ginger around the basket. And that's why you see him missing these layups. He, look, Luke Mabamute, the reason why you thought you could face the Warriors is you had, now you had a bunch of guys, a bunch of wings that you could throw on a Kevin Durant. Well, Luke Mabamute plays 17 minutes in a game where Trevor Reese is in foul trouble, picks up five fouls, you know, plays 23 minutes. So it's the whole reason you got Mabamute is for this series and for that situation. And yet he only plays 17 minutes. Like you said, they got to depend on Gerald Green, who's not good defensively. He's getting beat on back cuts. He doesn't block out all that well. There's just there's stuff that after being this long in the NBA, and I love Gerald Green, and I love what he's been able to do, and I root for Gerald Green. But at the same time, there's a reason why he was available for the Rockets. There's a reason why he's bounced around at the NBA. There's some little things that he does out on the floor that, that can hurt you. And, and they need Mamba Mute to somehow, some way, pick it up. And I just don't know with, this, with where he is right now coming off that injury. Because, look, if, if you just showed up, like if you're just saying, I don't care about the Rockets until, you know, I'm, I'm not going to watch until the playoffs. Well, Mamba Mute was playing incredible basketball early in the season for this team until he 
um, until that shoulder popped out of place. And then he went on the injured list. He came back. He was never quite the same guy that we saw early in the season. Then he gets injured again. And he's the key, to me, he's a, such a key. And, and I probably should have mentioned him along with Eric Gordon uh, when we were talking about the keys to this series. I mean, those two guys, you really needed them against this Warriors team. You needed Eric Gordon because you needed a somebody that could score as a third scorer with Clay or Steph, whoever is, you know, is their third scorer, which is like, you know, what a, what a luxury to have. But you also needed Mamamute so you could play him on Kevin Durant, so you could play him on Clay Thompson, so you could do all the switching. And so when you went small, which you were going to be doing most of the time with the Warriors, that you could go small and you wouldn't have to worry about, oh, we got to stick Ryan Anderson out there. And look, yeah, Ryan Anderson, he's a big fat zero at this point. He, he played five minutes you know, was 0 for 1, you know, 0 for 1 from 3, which is only shot attempt. Um, I mean, that's an issue. And you look at the plus minus, Mamba Mute was minus 14. He was the worst on the entire Rocket squad in the first game. But I still want to see him out there because I, 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 I trust in his defensive abilities. I trust in, like you said, he's a wing defender. He's somebody that... And you, again, to me, to beat the Warriors, I mean, I know it's like, oh, outshoot them, out play them. Okay, you can maybe do that a, a game or two if your your threes go off and you're wild. But you're really going to need to play really tight, sound defense uh, against this team. And I, I just feel like, uh, you know, he's going to be a, a, a if the Rockets are going to win this series, he's going to be a, a key contributor. Because again, G- Gerald Green, I just don't see him like you just mentioned there. Ryan Anderson, both those guys are defensive liabilities. And uh, just, you know, having them out on the court, uh, you, I just think that, you know, you might want to even try something else like a Joe Johnson. I don't know what he has left in the tank, but I, I really feel like this it gets down to, to making the stops on the Warriors, making it more difficult for them so that their field goal percentage goes down. Look, they've got great shooters. You know, you just hope, hey, if, if, if you can stop, you know, two out of the big three, one one might go off. Just let that one go off. But yesterday it was. It was not uh, only uh, 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 Kevin Durant had a sensational game, but also Clay Thompson was there and hitting history. You know, so you can't have like if you can shut down a couple of these guys and only one, then you have a chance of beating them. So, I mean, you're still going to need to have all your your best defenders there giving it their all. And and that's again, that's what's been how the Rockets have been successful this postseason. And it's a game that they played really good defense. Yeah, I, I don't know how else we can spell it out. But, yeah, the role players. I mean, we could beat that into the ground. I mean, I'm, I think for the most part, I expect James Harden to show up. I expect Chris Paul to show up. Uh, I think those guys are so hungry to end this narrative that they can't play big in big situations, and nobody wants to win a championship more. There's not a player in the NBA right now that wants to win a championship more than Chris Paul, and it's, it's hard to know with, with James Harden because he's such a stoic-faced guy. But, you know, I, I know the guy wants to win. I mean, you, you know, the, he's out there. They were saying it before the game or, or during the game, during the telecast that like, hey, he was out there the night before working on stuff. He was out at the arena. I mean, the, the guy puts in the work. We, we know that um, we can sometimes question uh, at, at times, you know, when he gets frustrated, does he? Does he start, you know, does he kind of quit sometimes? We've even seen that from LeBron. I mean, LeBron, 
gets frustrated. We, we saw that in the finals against the Mavericks. Everybody conveniently wants to forget that when they're talking about, oh, LeBron James. Hey, even, even the great Kobe Bryant had a few of those games where it just seemed like, you know, he heard kind of the, the chatter and just like, I mean, he never, t- Kobe was always there and stuff like that. But there were some days, why didn't he take any shots in this game? Why was he trying to dish out like 20 assists? So the Rockets, I mean, I, I'm just hoping they can, they can uh, those some of those guys can, those other guys can show up and, you know, maybe, maybe Kevin Durant has an off game. Because I, I think the Rockets are going to frustrate Steph Curry a little bit because they're going to they're going to make him work on defense and they're going to make him exert that energy at that end of the floor and they're going to be switching off screens. It's going to be tough for him, I think, to get you know these games where he has thirty. I, I think it's all about just hey, can you slow Kevin Durant down just a little bit? But the more important thing is they can't have these lapses where some guy back cuts and there's a layup. Well, the other thing, too, is that the Rockets in the first half, and they had a lot of, like, shot clock violations and winding the ball down and, you know, keeping up shots. They can't do that. They've got to be able – I mean, I know that part of there is like, James Harden and the ISO and Chris Paul and find the open shooter, you know, or, or drive to the basket. And, that, you know, then they can either, like, get a foul, Harden get a, get a foul, get a layup, a three-point continuation play, or – you know, dish it off to Capella for the dunk. But, you know, you're going to have to find really what you were saying there before. I really think that they need to find a way to like, you know, in game planning for game two, get Eric Gordon involved early, get Eric Gordon going off early, you know, find a way when he gets into the game to, to, to you know, where he can, you know, be that third dynamic scorer along with Chris Paul and, and, and James Harden. And then, you know, and like you said, there's there got to be somebody else who kind of steps up, but they just can't have this, you know, there were too many times where they, you know, wasted. And I get you, you have to also credit the the Warriors' defense. I mean, Steve Kerr, since he's taken over uh, the team, I mean, they've been one of the best defensive teams in the league, and you know, they they do a great job too of of defending. So, uh, you know, but you can't have it to where you know where you have basically what four or five of these uh, you know shot clock violation where they can't even get off a shot. I mean, this is one of the most prolific offensive teams. This is Mike D'Antoni coach team. Yeah, with seven seconds or less, there shouldn't be ha- you shouldn't be having these props where you're going up against the the shot clock buzzer. And I expect because D'Antoni's, you know, he is a brilliant offensive mind. We've seen it this year. There are times where the Rockets do a really great job of setting off ball screens and and cut to the basket, just like the Warriors do. And they've got to do more of that. There's no question. It doesn't help James Harden and Chris Paul though when everybody else is struggling so much that as soon as you throw them a pass, a Ryan Anderson. Or a Luke Babamute throws it back to you like a hot potato, like I don't want the ball. I don't want the ball. I I I can't shoot right now. You know, that's that. With they got to have a little bit of confidence. They got to do something, a little bit of something. Well, that's why if, they, if those guys don't have confidence, and you got to put somebody out there like a Joe Johnson, uh, you know, he's going to have confidence. You know, yeah, he's like he's terrible. To, you know, he's. I mean, if, if anybody's watched Joe Johnson, he is just a nightmare defensively. That's why I don't think you can put him out no, there. I mean, I'm just saying, though, that there are people. I mean, you have to get – I mean, basketball is all about confidence about your shot. I mean, again, I'll bring up Kobe Bryant. It doesn't matter if he missed 19 times. He, hey, I, I don't care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you on the 20th. Gerald Green's yeah. got confidence. Michael Jordan was the same way. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, it's just that – you know, I, I wish that if Gerald Green could play some decent, even halfway mediocre average defense, I mean, he'd be a real asset. It's just that you can you put him on the court where basically he's, uh, you know, turnstile there on defense. Well, that's that's all I got for the, for the Rockets. But uh, I want to talk a little bit. Of well, I, I might ask you, like, OK, so before we turn to anything else, I mean, it's just like 
what okay for game two i know you said it i gotta have the contributions if you're mike d'antoni i mean what do you say to this team mentally they might be in a fragile state you lose game one at home everybody's making a big deal about that oh well the rockets remember when we even discussed this and i told this to you the last show i said the rockets are going to lose one game at home i mean that's just you know very rarely does it happen in the NBA where a team like wins all four games at home. And we we even, you know, we've seen this in years past and everything. And so even when the Rockets, you know, uh, it, it, when they won their championships, they lost home games. So but what do you do with this team going up against a champion like the, the Warriors? How do you prepare them for a game two? If you're the head coach, Mike D'Antoni, you know, this isn't about giving the rah-rah speech to me. I, I, I said what I would do. I mean, you, you got it. Get, if I'm D'Antoni, he's got to get them to move the ball more. But but this isn't about D'Antoni. This is about the, the the heads, what's in the brain of guys like Mbamute Mute and PJ Tucker and Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon. But isn't that part of the way of a superstar though, a Chris Paul or a James Harden, and maybe even the head coaches say, "Look, you've got to be able to step it up, do it here." You know, we believe in you. We have that confidence in you. Because remember, even when the Rockets championship teams, there was that. It was it was getting a team to buy in that you can trust your teammates. They might, you know, fail sometimes and everything, but you just got to keep giving the ball back to them. And you had that, you know, killer, you know, uh, kind of mentality from a Vernon Maxwell, or you had an Otis Thorpe, or when they got Clyde Drexler and, and I mean, Sam. They, they are that. I mean, they. I mean, the, the, that's what you know. This team is a. This team is one of the closest teams, maybe in, in Houston Rockets and Houston sports. They, they, they are that. James Harden and Chris Paul do that. They've done it all year. That's how you win 65 games. It's one game. Let's, like I said, let's, let's just see. No, game I two. agree with you. Not push the panic button. You're usually the one that pushes the panic button and stuff like that. But so. I am panicking because this is not anything that we've seen any different from Mabah Mute and Ryan Anderson. And those guys have got to do something. And I'm afraid they don't have, a, there's not another gear with them at this point. They don't have, they're, they're hurt or whatever's the problem, or there's something between the, their ears. I mean, Mbamute, if he can't make a layup, when, you throw, when we throw the ball to you outside, don't try to drive the, to the basket if you can't make a layup. Just shoot the ball because he's got this shot where you, he throws it like over his head like we used to see uh, Purvis Short where it's, it's, it's tough to block because he's six foot nine, he's got a high release. Then just shoot the dang three. And, and he's missed a lot of them, but it's one point, one of those is going to fall, but I'd rather him shoot a three and miss than shoot a layup and miss. I mean, that's. Let me ask you another thing, too, is like, okay, so Kevin Durant, what, what do you do about him in a game two? I mean, because this is a guy, he just went on, he's a matchup problem for everybody. How do you try to, what do you do to, to try to, to neutralize him? You I just mean, you're hope not that he misses because they guarded him about as well as you could guard him. They made him work for his shots. You can't double him because they got 14 other guys that are all-stars on the team, that are, and they've got some of the best shooters in NBA history. I, I, you, you've just got to hope that he starts missing some shots. And, and, and the guy, look, he's not perfect. He's going to miss some shots. But what you can't do is say, okay, we're going to start double-teaming him. Then there's 14 other guys that are open, wide-open threes. We saw that later in the game when the Rockets were missing assignments, and there's Clay Thompson, you know, like he's sitting on his back porch by himself, you know, in the driveway just shooting threes. And, he's, and you know, he, we know he's going to make those. Same thing with Steph Curry. Uh, even Nick Young, if he's wide, wide open. You can't have the defensive lapses where guys are extremely wide open. <laughs> like. Yeah, Just, I, yeah. The, the bottom line is you, you also, you know, do well well defensively when you actually make shots and offensively in the Rockets. If they, you know, like I said, they've got to be better offensively. I mean, to me, that's that's as big a thing as anything else. And, yeah, you again, you know, I've said it already, but 
you know, like I've said, it's, you can't allow these back cut layups that, you know, that's to me that those are the ones that really make me want to punch somebody because they're just not necessary. And, and it wasn't, I mean, I was looking at whether there's a screen that set that up. Was it really great play calling by Steve Kerr? No, it was just, you know, somebody not seeing ball, you and man, and, and the man was getting free and it was, it was a layup. You can't do that against the Warriors because they'll see the guy and they'll find him and he'll, he'll have a layup. And that's the way they're, they operate. They don't have anybody to clog the paint. You know, they didn't play Zaza. So it's, you know, that's. <laughs> hey, they did get Dr- Dremont Green to, you know, ha- get a technical there and stuff like that. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean if, if Gerald Green, if he's got anything that he can give you, maybe he can just get Draymond, you know, teched exactly. out of a, some games and stuff like that. I mean, Gerald, Gerald is, he is a fighter and he's, he's not afraid to mix it up. I mean, I think he can, but get... it is still, it's still an exciting series to watch. I mean, that was still captivating. I love watching the Rockets Warriors play. I mean, hopefully we'll get, you know, and especially have the Rockets losing game one here, a six, seven game series. I mean, the Rockets get back in it and, and do well, but I mean, these are two Titans heavyweights going at it. It's really fun to watch. To, I wanted to bring up that uh, the, the first game of this series was uh, May 14th, uh, 2018. And May 14th, 1998 was the last episode of Seinfeld. And that kind of had a lot of big buildup and everything, too, and was, I mean, one of the great shows of all time. But 20-year anniversary of that, just thought it was kind of funny. You were a big Seinfeld fan. Well, so that last show of Seinfeld was also a big disappointment. Exactly. So maybe it was like, but maybe, hopefully, you know, the Rockets can kind of turn things around. So we're past that my, May 14th milestone day. Are you ready to talk about the Astros and? Or do you, do you want to talk about? Did you want to talk about the Cavs in Boston at all? Are you at, at all surprised at that first uh, game and what what do you think is going to happen in that series? No, I mean I've we've learned not to underestimate Boston. I think Boston's going to win the series because they've got a better team and it's, it's Cleveland. It's LeBron, and that's pretty much it. And and Boston, I mean we we keep underestimating them and they keep figuring out i mean yeah i think boston's gonna win i mean that's don't you think this is a huge game this game two because it's like well i guess a game two or a game five i mean more so and because going back to cleveland i could see cleveland winning two games at home game five i mean i don't i don't you know i i think if it's a big game for cleveland because if they can somehow steal it against boston but you're right i i think uh, just boston's a better overall team brad, brad he's done a heck of a job as coach without having i'm just tired of talking about lebron and tired of talking about boston and boston teams let's move (laughs) on i can't believe i'm the one that's like desperately trying to get over to the astros and you're the one that desperately trying to talk about cleveland and lebron james and boston i mean i mean let's 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 move over to the to the astros because you know to me the big thing that we're finding out is apparently you can't give jose altuve a bunch of money he's gotten fat and happy you know, it's it's probably time to deal the guy. You know, obviously he can't hit the baseball anymore. I mean, level of concern on Jose Altuve is it like he's you're ready to trade him, RG, or you say wait another week or two and 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 then and then deal him. I know you're being facetious here at everything like that, but I, the the guy, I mean, he's just going through a slump that a lot of players go through. I mean, he was stepped out of an O for for 16. I mean, you had Didi Gregorius last week who was tearing MVP early part of April and went through an O for 28 type. You know that happens. It's baseball. You, I, I think the big thing though is, I mean, last year with. I mean, just looking at some of the players like Altuve last year, you know, his MVP season, of course, he had 24 home runs. He had uh, a, a 346 average, led the league in hitting. He had a 957 OPS. He had uh, Josh Reddick. He had an 847 OPS. And, and then you had uh, Marwin Gonzalez, of course, the 907 OPS. You know, I mean, those were guys that were 
completely, you know, having great years. And then you look at Altuve so far this year through the first two months of the season. And I mean, he's got a 760 OPS. Yeah, we talked about we expected some drop offs by some guys. And yeah, we didn't expect Jose Altuve to play at the MVP level that he was playing at the last few years. But also his, his OPS is 760. He had, 950, he had a 957 last year. It was, he had a 928 the year before. He had an 812 the year before that, an 830. This is his worst in five years. I mean, I, I, I was being facetious, but at the same time, that you have to be a little concerned about him. This isn't just two weeks. This is like the whole season. At, at, the, at the end of the season, Robbie, uh, he's going to have the number. I'm not worried about Jose Altuve, okay? I mean, the guy, is still, he's still hitting 300. He's still, you know, he's having a, you know, he's not having a Jose Altuve MVP great, you know, start. to. But I, at the end of the season, the guys that I'm worried about are, are uh, you know, Marwin Gonzalez with his uh, going from a 907 OPS to a 632 OPS right now. You have like a Josh Reddick, a 762 OPS after, you know, again, with his um, close to almost 900 OPS. So, I mean, you have these guys that that were almost everybody's not having as good of a season. OK, and so that that, that can happen. You, you know, usually you have guys like a Marwin Gonzalez has a stellar season. He drops back. But I mean, Evan Gaddis, you know, a, a, until a recent the last week here we were talking about he might potentially be designated for assignment i mean he just not has not had a good season he you know he finally started to come out of it get some string some hits together but then you have Derek fisher you see some progress where he gets a home run or a double and then he has a game where he strikes out and you're you're like he's back to square one again and so but i'm again i don't want to overreact here because the astros and the and the Angels are heading into Tuesday night's game. Garrett Cole is going to be on the mound. I mean, they're basically tied for first place. They're in first place in the AL West. As we discussed the previous week, the, the American League West is a lot tougher this season, okay? I mean, the you know, Seattle's better. The Angels are really good with Shohei Otani. I mean, this is a team that's going to be competing for a playoff spot. Uh, you know, the Oakland Athletics are improved. You know, I mean, so this is a t- much tougher division. So it's not going to be a cakewalk for the Astros. And you keep, But you can't keep losing – to the angels well you can't keep losing to the angels but it's been a it's yes that's their main competitor here but it's four out they've lost four out of five you're right start the season but they're going to have 18 games against them and let's let's just remember the main thing that the reason to be positive about the astros is you win with pitching over the course of a season you're going to win with great starting pitching they're getting great starting pitching remember last season when you complained it was like well, you can't even get five innings out of an Astro and you have to go to the bullpen. Well, you're getting seven innings, eight innings from like guys about Verlander, Garrett Cole, Dallas Keuchel now is back on track. So that means you don't have to overtax your bullpen early in the season. And they're still probably, look, the Astros, everybody knows it. They're looking for bullpen arms. They're going to be bullpen arms out there to get, whether it's Zach Britton when he comes off the DL, as you mentioned previously, or, or whether it's somebody like Kelvin Herrera from Kansas City, they've been rumored to be, uh, you know, dealt because Kansas City's bad this year. You know, you have you have they're going to be closers bullpen help available. To me it's more about the lineup just it's been so lackluster and it's like you have these games where the Astros break out for hits and then they don't. But again, you you're going to have a wild card that you can call up in, you know, June or, you know, sometime soon with with Kyle Tucker and that guy can improve the offense immediately, can extend and lengthen the lineup and if you can, you know, find ways if Derek Fisher's not cutting it, put, you know, Kyle Tucker out there. Or you have, you know, hopefully, look, Jose Altuve, 
Carlos Correa, George Springer, Alex Bregman. These are guys that, you know, they're in their prime right now. They're going to have good seasons if they stay healthy. That's the main thing, thing to me. So it's like it's not the time to overreact right now. And and they Astros haven't made any real changes to the roster and to the lineup. And I think they're giving a lot of these guys like, you know, Evan Gaddis and Derek Fisher, they're giving them time here. And, it, and the pitching staff's allowing them to do that. But I'm, I'm saying if you're looking at the fundamentals, it's like looking at a stock. If you're looking at the fundamentals, right? If you're seeing, if you're just looking at, okay, these are these are the really good things about it right now. If you have strong starting pitching and rotation that you can go to and then pitch deep in the game, saves on your bullpen, and and you have that it, over the course of a long regular season, and and they're still it's all the problems you've mentioned and the panic button and everything, they're in first place still basically. So uh, yeah, they need to do better against the Angels, some of their AL West division opponents, but and they have a really tough stretch right now because they're playing the Yankees and the Rod Sox and the Angels and all that. But over the course of a season, I just look at that starting pitching as you can trot one of those guys out every every five nights, and even then you have somebody like a a Brad. Peacock in the bullpen or Colin McHugh that you can bring in to start too, who are, uh, you know, again, have good numbers to start off the season. So you have that. The pitching is what wins, especially over the course of season with injuries and everything cropping up. And you can bring in some younger talent from your minor leagues. We talked about Tony Kemp in addition to uh, Kyle Tucker and all that. They have some they have some places they can go and they have some trading chips and they go out and acquire to make, you know, get ready for the stretch run. But baseball is a long season. And, you know, I just, again, I look at the starting pitching, and that's where, as long as you Verlander, Cole, Keuchel, uh, McCullers, and Morton, I mean, these, these guys have been sensational to start the season. How long, RG, can we continue to just accept that Jake Marisnik is going to have an OPS of like 300 and strike out every time he comes to the plate? Right. They had the Angels started in the first game of the series, Andrew Healy, right? And he pitched really well. He's a left-hander, and Jake Marisnik wasn't in the lineup. Chose to put in Derek Fisher, who struck out twice against him. But uh, to me, that's a sign that, you know, hey, why isn't a right-handed hitter like Jake Marisnik going up against a left-handed pitcher? I mean, isn't that what he's basically there for, uh, to platoon and to play against lefties? So um Maybe there was something else in the story that I didn't see about before why he wasn't starting. Maybe it's because he sucks. And I tell you, and I'm going to tell you something else. They started Derek Fisher against the lefty, and and that needs to happen more often. I mean, Derek Fisher so far in his career, his OPS has been better against lefties than righties. And yet, A.J. Hinch plays him like he can't hit lefties, which I, I think is, you know, first of all, you never learn to hit lefties by not hitting lefties. And Derek Fisher's a guy that you want to be able to play at some point every day. He's got speed. He's got power. He's supposed to be able to hit a little bit. Um, You know, we haven't seen great stuff from him, but his OPS is at least inching his way towards 700. He's getting there. I mean, that might not sound great, but, you know, when when you're talking about his OPS is pretty much uh, right there with, like, somebody like Yuli Gurriel or is better than a Marwin Gonzalez right now then it doesn't look so bad. And and the thing with Jake Marisnik is when you've got a team, it's not just the Astros, it's a lot of teams in baseball, and you're going to carry all of these pitchers. You want to carry 4,000 4, pitchers. You only have so many guys that you can put in the lineup or bat or pinch hit with. And to have a guy out there that you literally know is going to strike out nearly every single time that you bring him up, he's not going to get you base hits. I mean, look, if Jake Marisnik is hot, 
he he was like one for four. That's hot for Jake Marisnik. He gets one hit and four at bats. Or oh, he had he had a base hit in two consecutive games. Jake Marisnik, and I should just start calling him Jake Marisnik. Because there's a lot of K's at the end of that. And so with Jake, it's just like I just don't know how long. I mean, I I know everybody in the clubhouse loves the guy. I know he's got the speed and the defense you could put in late in the games. I know he's got the beautiful flowing locks and the girls love him and all that sort of stuff. But at some point, I think you've got to say, look, let's send Jake down. And I mean, if you designated him for assignment, RG, seriously, is anybody else in baseball going to go, hey, we're going to claim him. We'll take a piece of that 300 OPS. No, I mean, there might, you look, there are a lot of teams out there that would take a flyer on a guy who's on a world championship. <sighs> I mean, a world champion roster that might, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that you might go and claim too, you know, I mean, it's a, but it's, it's not. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the he's not somebody that, uh, like you said, I mean, he's, he's, he is who he is. We talked about this last week. He's basically a 230 to 240 hitter who will strike out a lot and give you some pop and he gives you uh, speed and defense. But is there, it's just right now, he's just so befuddled at the plate. He gets up there and, you know, he's just not making contact. And that's another thing about this year's team that's just been disturbing as far as the lineup goes is the reason why they were so effective last year. Remember, they, they were able to make contact. They were a team that didn't strike out as much and also made a lot of contact. Best, well, best we, in baseball at not striking out. Best yeah, in baseball. Yeah, and now it's just like you see that lineup whip, 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 all these Ks. And, I mean, it's just they are not the same offensive club as, as we know. It's just like everybody's – and it's kind of trickled on down. I mean, Altuve, like you said, not having the same season. I, again, I'm not worried about Altuve. I'm not worried about Correa. I'm not really even worried about Bregman. He seems to be a second-half player. He starts heating up right about now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have like a, a, a George Springer. I mean, he's always been streaky. I mean, we even saw that in the playoffs. And we, that's why he was World Series MVP when people were saying at the beginning of the series, drop this guy in the order. He's struggling. So, I mean, he's streaky. So you have some streaky hitters and you have some guys having off years. And then you have guys completely, you know, probably shouldn't be playing, you know, in the lineup, at, you know, like a Jake Marisnik, like you mentioned, or even Evan Gaddis, the way that he was the first, you know, few weeks again he's he's been on a roll lately so we'll wait and see is is he coming around is this just a brief blip on the radar uh who knows uh, so i mean i think there's still a lot to to, to see but as, as far as jake marisnik i mean i'd rather see somebody like a tony kemp up here because i, I want to see just somebody who can make contact you know get on base and kind of just get the lineup going because when you have a runner on base or when you make contact, I mean, like Nolan Ryan always said, you know, when you, when you put it in play, you know, there's always a chance you can at least get on. Right. I mean, you put in play, something can happen. If you don't put it in play, if you strike out, you know, you're, you know, you're going back to the bench. So, I mean, there's always a chance a defender can make an error. You can beat out a infield hit or something. And I would just rather see that get traffic on the bases because then maybe some of these other hitters on the Astros will start heating up too. But, uh, you know, so that's why I'd like to see a little bit more tinkering with the roster and with the lineup. I don't know when the Astros are going to do it. Look, Jeff Luno is much smarter than both of uh, us. He has looked at these numbers and he knows what's happening. And he and his organization and staff and as long as, as well as our uh, the Stanford educated coach, A.J. Hinch, they realize all these things. And I, I have a feeling, you know, they're just not in a panic mode. They want to okay, these are the guys that won it last year and, and, you know, the lineup, let's see if they come. But, you know, sooner or later, you're going to have to start making changes if, if things don't improve yeah, lineup-wise. And Jake Marizic, let's be fair, didn't win 
anything. He might have helped you in a little bit in the regular season. He did not play in the playoffs, didn't get you any big hits, or he just didn't play in the playoffs. Hey, but like you said, he's motivational. He's there on the roster to, you know, hey. Uh, <laughs> but he's a good. He's also good in the clubhouse, and, you know, he does some things. I mean, we can't just totally disregard him. I think him, the but... frustrating thing for Astros fans is, you you know, you look down at Fresno, and I, I get it. The stats can be inflated. It's AAA. It's California, the, the high altitude or whatever. But you go like J.D. Davis is hitting 420 with an 1100 OPS. You know, you got Drew Ferguson, a center fielder, is hitting 333 with a 924 OPS. And the guy that I, I've always loved is Tyler White. I think you could, the guy could hit on the moon. Uh, he's hitting 362 with 1100 OPS. But the big thing for me, in 130 at bats, he struck out only 19 times. I mean, for the Astros. I mean, that would be unbelievable. You mentioned Tony Kemp, who's hitting 346 with an 867. Uh, Kyle Tucker is struggling for them, and he's still hitting 292 with a 786 OPS. So you got guys all over the place in Fresno that go and say, hey, give me a chance. But the problem is, what are you going to do with, an, I mean, Evan Gaddis, who was struggling, like I said, the only way you make room for him is either he gets a injury, like one of those fake injuries, or you deal him with, with Jake Marisnik. I think it's the same thing. Those two guys, you can't do anything with them. The, the only guys that you, the only guy you can do anything with on the roster really is Derek Fisher, who, you know, I feel like oh, really he's kind of come around over the last, you know, three weeks or so. I mean, you're starting to see a little bit about what he can do. I, I think if you just let him stay in there and get, cons- again, get, I don't know how you, I don't know how you get, to be consistent if you don't get consistent at bats and they're just going to have to stick with Derek Fisher and just see, let's, let's give him a couple weeks consistent at bats. And if he's still hovering around 190, then enough is enough. We've got all these guys at Fresno that are just much, you know, they got much better chance of making contact. Like you said. Yeah. Well, I think that eventually too, Kyle Tucker is going to be up at some point this season. So I just don't know when, and that, you know, that can be a, when he gets up, he's going to play every single day and your outfield would, I, I assume would be Kyle Tucker, uh, Josh Reddick and, and George Springer. Right. And then you would, maybe you could, if, if, if you still want Fisher on the roster, maybe you could split time at DH or with a JD Davis. If you decide to, you know, part ways with an Evan Gaddis, so to speak, or if Evan Gaddis is still on the roster, maybe, you know, platoon in the DH situation there with Fisher. And uh, and he could also be fourth outfielder, Fisher and Gaddis type thing at DH. So I don't know. There are a lot of different combinations. Or you can bring up a Tony Kemp and he can be that utility guy. And remember, Marlon Gonzalez is going to be a free agent after the season. We all thought, boy, he's going to be somebody that's going to be coveted by everybody. And he still might be. I mean, Marlon Gonzalez is still a valuable player. And, he, you know, he can he can do many things and uh, a super sub. But, you know, it's also I mean, the Astros are trying to go back to back when a championship here. So it's not like, oh, hey, we got to bring up Tony Kemp and give a look and see how he plays and. You know, whether it be somebody who could be a potential placement for, you know, Marlon Gonzalez in case he leaves. No, I mean, this is a team trying to win a championship. So you have to look at the best possible players for your roster. There's not it's not what it was like two or three years ago where you would, you know, evaluate players and see how they could fit in for the future. So, I mean, that's not what the Astros are right now. So they're they're a team that, yeah, they're trying to win every single day, trying to uh, compete for a championship. And so, I mean, I mean, they'll be looking at the trade market too. Could add a bat that way as well. So, um, and bullpen arms, and we've discussed previously too. So, 
you know, they're going to be they're going to be a team that, again, is looking to defend their championship. So they're, they're, the leash is not going to be very long. So I think April and May, that's usually a time when baseball teams evaluate kind of like, OK, what are we getting out of it? You know, because you can have a two or three week stretch where, look, again, like Altuve over a week you know, or a few games, I mean, goes hitless. I mean, we know that's not Jose Altuve. He's going to end up with a 330 average by the end of the season and, and be the usual kind of Jose Altuve. Or Carlos Correa might struggle for a while, but we know that Carlos Correa is going to have 20 to 30 home runs, and he's going to, you know, have a, a 290, 300 average by the season's end. Th- those are guys we know. Okay, they're going to give that production by the end of the season. But then you have these guys here. Is it is is what we're seeing from Gaddis? Is is he on the downside of his career? Is this is you know what he's happening for you know the six to eight weeks here? Is Derek Fisher? Is he somebody that needs to go back to AAA? to get more experience and call somebody else up to, to have uh, some at-bats. You know, you kind of like over uh, two months of the season. So when we come up to this Memorial Day weekend, you know, get into the first part of June, that's always a serious time for baseball executives too because it's like that kind of kicks it in. A lot of times where you are on June 1st, at the, your playoff probability, like if you're in first place on June 1st or you're around there, you know, that that's usually a, a lot of those teams are going to make the playoffs. So you already are a good part into the season. So you kind of know what you have. And so teams start looking to deal in June, July, you know, you have the trading deadline. So, again, the, to me, and then also we have kind of the minor league. Remember that whole thing with George Springer we've seen in the past about like, you know, when they're arbitration eligible and all of that. So June is also a time where you get that to where that I think it ta- adds on another year. So it makes it easier to call up guys. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, is Jake Marisnik, if you even, if you get to the playoffs, do you want him on your roster in the playoffs? Do you want a guy? Well, I mean, in the, in the playoffs, you would want, look, you're going to be in the playoffs. You play the certain guys the same. And by that time you're already there, you, you would want him as a late inning defensive replacement. You would want him at, to be able well, to pinch before, run. Before you, before let's talk about as a, late inning defensive replacement if it's josh reddick and george springer and let's say it's kyle tucker out in the outfield who is he being a defensive replacement for let's start with that well i'm saying that he he gives you at least that option if you want to have somebody out there i mean we don't know if kyle i mean yeah i'm we're predicting that or if if, let's say josh reddick i mean look how he was he struggled in the playoffs last year maybe you lift him because you're pinch hitting for him right in a game and you put jake marisnik out there because you want to have like even if you pitch it for josh reddick lefty righty kind of matchup right uh then you want to have somebody that could go in and play the outfield because you might use a Let's say you have an Evan Gaddis on the roster. You have him pitch it for, you know, you, he's not going to go out and play the field. So then you have a Jake Marisnik who's there for a defensive replacement. So, I mean, you have these type of things that you can do, and he gives you that flexibility. But you're right. I mean, they had Cameron Mayburn there late last season, too, and he was basically the Jake Marisnik, right? And, in fact, he gave you some key hits. I remember, you know, some home runs late in the season. And, you know, I mean, he uh, is stealing a base in, in, in the playoffs and all that. So, I mean, you have uh, – I believe so. I'm kind of like a little foggy in my memory there. Maybe you can remind me, but I I, I want to say that uh, that that happened. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so you, you're going to need those type of players. You're going to need the backups. You're going to need the guys that round out the roster. Yeah, you didn't need you didn't need let's, again. You didn't need Jake Marisnik to win the championship last year. Yeah, I agree with you. He's getting too many abs this season, right? So it's just like you know that's. He's and he struggled and, you know, he should be either. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, if, with this type of average that he has and, you know, with the contribution he's giving to the team, 
he should he should probably be down at AAA, you know, or designated for assignment or something. But I mean, there are also other things that go into it because he's been on the roster the last few years. They want to, you know, give him an extended yeah, look. I, I, and, yeah, I, I went through all the reasons why they like to keep him on the roster. I'm just saying. Um, and I want to just one more thing on the Astros before we close out. Um, look, Alex Bregman, uh, he's got seven errors. So his, he's defense. He looks great at times. Occasionally he gets some errors, but if you take out Alex Bregman, I, mean, it, it, this should not go unnoticed. Um, uh, Marwin has two errors and then Marwin's, you know, playing 14 different positions. Uh, so you got to cut him, cut him some slack. But other than that, this is what the Astros have in errors from their, players like the regular players Altuve has one uh Brian McCann has one and George Springer has one Carlos Correa has not made an error and he's been sensational have you look I mean in that first game against the Angels too he made another highlight real play where he started it off to Jose Altuve and for a double play I mean Carlos Correa He's he's actually gotten better at shortstop defensively this year. I mean, he's been a pleasure that's what to I'm, watch. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. No, I and I mean still overall, but that again, that's why strong pitching, really good defense. I mean, they just haven't had the timely hits this year. They have not had situational hitting. They've not had. It's been it's been more about the lineup. But can that change? I think it can. If you tinker with the lineup, you tinker with the roster. You don't need to make wholesale changes. They have a good core. We as we know. You just need to kind of like round it out and drop the guys who are not producing that have a track record of really not producing, like you mentioned, a Jake Marisnik. Yeah, and their third best hitter behind Springer and Correa since Altuve's like dropped to like their sixth best hitter, but or whatever. But is is also hasn't made an error. Max Stassi, another guy that I was highly critical of last year, his defense has not made, quietly has not made an error. Yuli Gurriel, you know, props to him. I mean, his offensively. I wish he was hitting maybe 20 points higher, but the guy has turned into a really solid defensive player. So I got to give him a little high five for that. Uh, as far as, you know, the, the pitching goes and going back to what you said, yeah, it's great that they're getting all these great starting pitching or whatever. But like I said last week, and it's just something to keep in mind and I'm not trying to jinx him, but uh, you could say you, you, you're jinxing by telling them, keep telling people how great they are also. But the pitching, at some point, guys are going to get injured and you're not going to get guys that are going to come in like uh, these five Cy Young guys that you've got. Um, and Colin McHugh can still come in, but boy, he's played well in the bullpen. But if you're bringing up somebody from AAA or whatever, you're, you're probably not getting uh, continuing to get six, seven. Let, let me let me say something. Let me stop you there. I'd say something because I. Being out in Los Angeles, you're seeing the Dodgers struggle to start off this season. Clayton Kershaw goes on the DL. He and Jin Ryu again on kind of the DL. And it's just like then they've had to go to their bullpen. They don't have Brandon Morrow. Kenley Jansen's not the same. Sometimes, I mean, the good thing about, again, getting back to the starting rotation is Keuchel going seven or eight innings. This is a guy that goes deep in the games. When he starts doing that and gets on a roll – you have a Justin Verlander every single time out seven or eight inning. You have Garrett Cole doing the same thing. These guys feed off of one another. So even if you do have to dip into your 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 uh, your starting rotation, there's an injury or something, and you have to go. I mean, a Brad Peacock, we've seen he's been a solid starter. A Colin McHugh, but this these guys, I mean, it it just 
it, it just gives you so much of you can say at least out of, you know, for most of these starters, they can go deep into games. You don't have the question marks there. It also helps because, again, remember last season, I remember you setting up the, the chicken little alarms about like, oh, wow, this bullpen. They always have to go to the bullpen. And Chris Dubinsky by, you know, the all-star break, I know he's been great. And you were right. I mean, he suffered in the second half. He wasn't the same player. So when you're going out and you're using your bullpen every single day and for two to three innings, you know, a, a certain guys that come in and do that, it's eventually going to cause detriment in the second half. And so that's why, again, having a strong starting rotation, you can do this. You can, you can better withstand the injuries. You don't tax your bullpen as much. Bullpen arms can swing into the rotation to help out during the season. And again, I fully expect them to go out and acquire some bullpen arms. RG, I, I know this is going to shock you, but um, I, apparently now, you can bet on sports in the United States. I know that's going to change so many people's habits. I mean, now that they, they thought, oh, I, I can't, I can't bet on games, and now I can bet on games. You're telling me? Wow, you know this thing called fantasy. I, I've heard about it. I think it might really take off now. Now people are, they might even start thinking about, you know, what if marijuana becomes legal? You think uh, some people might actually start trying that around the United States for the first time? You know, <laughs> are you going to get Andy Ryu on to talk some uh, fantasy sports and gambling and uh, the odds? Oh, yeah. Well, and, Andy's my fantasy guy over on Lockdown. NFL. By the way, uh, Lockdown Texans over on the Lockdown Network. We're, we're still rolling along. Great guest, John Ledyard from Lockdown NFL Draft. Man, he's you know, he's gotten like a few million listens already this year. I mean, it's it's an incredible show. He came on with us. Is that John? Did you say John Legend? No, uh, John Ledyard. Ledyard. Ledyard, like okay, with a uh, YRD, like your your backyard. But yeah, great guy as far as knowing the draft. So we, we, we talked to him about what he thought of the Texans draft, stuff like that. So go check that, check out. And what were Texas. some of that? Can you give us a highlight? Can you give us a tease? Can you, can you kind of like, or something that make us want to listen to the show about one of his uh, a thing or two about what he said about the draft picks and go and listen for more. Yeah. He wasn't as high maybe as some people were on Kiki cutie, the wide receiver. He, he there was a guy that he, the guy or two that he thought that the Texans maybe should have drafted in the third and fourth round for, on the offensive line. That might've been a better help than the guys that they did. He wasn't, you know, might've not been big on, uh, an, another one of the Texans draft picks, possibly in the third round. I'm not going to say which guy in particular, but there was somebody that he wasn't as big on maybe as the Texans are on, on this particular guy. But, you know, overall, you know, I, 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 as I've said on that show, it's, you know, I think the Texans, they, they did some good things. I mean, I, I I'm still, uh, as we've talked about over on locked on Texans kind of dumbfounded that Jeff Allen, is still around and now they've got him on this pup list and they're saying they won't say that it is an injury and they could have taken that $5 million. They could have just cut him and the $5 million that w was not a guaranteed $5 million. In other words, if they cut him, they would have, they could have taken that 5 million and done something else with it. There's, there was going to be some money that you were going to just be, there's going to be dead money if you cut Jeff Allen, but I'd much rather take the 5 million and spend it somewhere else than, spending on Jeff Allen, who's just been a, a big disappointment since he's been with the Texans. Uh, but that's a, that's a whole other story. Uh, anything else of note in sports 
over the last few days, Houston related, RG, anything going on in NHL? You want to give me an NHL update since, uh, since I, I follow? Yeah, I mean, of course there's some big, I mean, well, I think the Washington Capitals getting off to that two Oh start. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, that's been kind of surprising in Tampa Bay and then Vegas tying it up against the Winnipeg Jets. So yeah, you got a couple of really exciting games going on in the, uh, in the NHL, but I, you know, well, uh, Washington's been one of those hard luck franchises over the years and everything. I mean, they're almost like the, the Washington nationals of just like, you know, having Alex Ovechkin, a great NHL player every single year, they, they're supposed to go deep into the playoffs. So, you know, knock on wood, we've seen the Cubs win the world series. Hey, the Astros finally won. And, and now the, the Washington capitals are, are going deep in the playoff and they've only had that. I think their one Stanley cup was in 1990 or where they made an appearance. It was in 1998. They lost to the Red Wings. So, uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting one to watch. They can close it out there. And then, I mean, I think Vegas and Winnipeg will be a really exciting series. So there's, I know you really love to talk NHL. It's your favorite thing to talk about the puck. So uh, for any of those listening right now, yeah, I'm sure that, yeah, <laughs> hopefully you're still listening. <laughs> Hockey's on ice. Is that right? They play that game on ice? Ice capades. You know, so yeah, they have different ones. Well, that's all we got for this one. Thanks a bunch, RG. It's... Uh big huge massive game tomorrow wednesday for the rockets let's hope they can tie this series because at that point then you can press the panic button if they lose again yeah it looks pretty bad hopefully they can you know make this an exciting much anticipated series by evening it up and going back to golden state tied 1-1 thanks again for listening and if you're new to the show subscribe to houston sports talk on itunes stitcher or the TuneIn app If you have an Android device, download our free Houston Sports Talk app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com.